Hello, everybody. This is Chess Griffin. Welcome back to Linux Reality. This is episode number 60, the big 6-0. Uh, in this episode, we are going to talk about name servers. And I, it's funny because uh, you may remember from a few episodes ago, someone had emailed me asking me to talk about DNS servers. And I had mentioned that, you know, I, I've done some things with Bind, which is, a, which is a package that does that sort of thing, and that I thought it was just too complicated. Well, several people emailed me back and told me about another application that I had never heard of called DNS Mask. And this is a nifty, nifty little super lightweight name server. Very cool, very easy to configure. And so after I got those emails, I investigated it and I've got it installed and I've had it running now for a week or two and I love it. It's just awesome. So I thought it would be fun to talk about. So that's what we're going to talk about this week. And I think, you know, just to give you a little bit of a heads up next week, I think I'll talk about some email stuff, some, you know, easy home email servers, nothing too complicated, but I think it's, I've got that running as well. And uh, I'll talk about that next week. So that should be a lot of fun. But this week, we're going to talk about DNS. Okay, well, I am no expert on DNS. I'm going to say that up front. I have limited experience. I have run bind before, uh, but uh, it's been a while now, and I just, you know, I'm not a huge DNS name server kind of guy. But uh, basically what... what uh, what a name server is, it's a, it's a machine that resolves names to IPs. You know, when you type in google.com, your request is, is mapped, if you will, um, against a list of known IPs for servers, and it returns the actual number for google.com, and that's what the name server does. It resolves names with IPs, and it kind of, you know, matches the two together. Uh, so... You know, I think the reason why it's fun to run a DNS server at home is that these requests for IPs, if you will, can be cached. So the first time you search or you type in Google.com, it's got to go out there and resolve that against the IP address. But then it can save that result, if you will. And so the next computer on your network that asks for Google.com well, it, it, has a, it has a copy of the IP right there handy, you know, um, and, and so it's much quicker. The idea is that it's much quicker to resolve names and therefore can make your web browsing quicker and just, you know, make everything a little bit smoother and faster. Um, you can also couple this with a DHCP server, and that obviously is a little server that hands out IP addresses to clients as they connect. Uh, so when I first set this up, I just did the DNS and then I added the DHCP and it's really, it's even cooler when you add the DHCP to the DNS. So, uh, we'll talk about both of these here, um, with, uh, this little application DNS mask. It's a really cool little application. So once you've got, um, once you've got it installed, uh, the main configuration file is typically slash Etsy slash DNS mask.conf. And that is, you know, it's very well commented. It really explains exactly what every single line does. Uh, so uh, I would highly recommend going through it and really reading it. And, of course, I'll put a link to the homepage as well as to a nice article that explains how to do this. But let me talk about two files on the system first. On every Linux machine, there is a file called slash Etsy slash resolve.conf, and that's spelled R-E-S-O-L-V dot C-O-N-F. 
And that's normally where your name servers are held, your name server IPs. Uh, I use a cable modem with a with our local cable company, and when I first you know access um, you know, when I first get online, once I've installed something on you know, installed Linux on the computer, it automatically adds the name servers that my cable company gives. So I have two lines in there, you know, name server, and it's like twenty four dot five dot whatever. You know, it's like a it's like a regular uh, IP address, and so basically that's telling the machine, okay, look, whenever you want to resolve a name to an IP go to these two name servers, which are maintained by my cable company, and they'll give you the IP address. And so what we're doing is we're just bringing that functionality to your local network. Uh, so in the slash Etsy slash resolve.conf file on your uh, name server that you're going to use, uh, let's, say you've, let's say you've got a dedicated machine and it's an IP address of 192.168.1.5. So that's where you're going to install DNS mask, and that's where that's so that'll be your name server. Uh, so on your name server in slash Etsy slash resolve.conf, leave your two actual name servers, you know, the ones given to you by your cable company, because that's going to be sort of the master name server for your network. So, of course, it needs to actually have the real name servers for your uh, for your internet, you know, uh, for your ISP. But on all of your clients on the network in their slash Etsy slash resolve.conf, you're going to want to put the IP address of your local name server. So 192.168.1.5 in my example. That's where you're, that's so, you know, you're going to have one name server that's got the name server IPs given to you by your cable company or your ISP. And then all your other machines on the network in resolve.com, they're going to put the IP address of your local name server. Uh, so on the clients, you'll have name server space 192.168.1.5 as an example. And you could just stop right there. That's all you need to do uh, to to set this thing up as a name server. Works great, and uh, you know you can see uh, in in the system logs that when a client requests uh, a, you know and and uh, an IP when they type in Google.com, you can see uh, uh, .com. You can see in the logs that uh, DNS Mask is uh, making that request. For the client and passing it along and that's it's so easy to do that's all you got to do really there are let's see a couple other things that you can do with um, this application without doing the DHCP you can for example there's some lines in there about changing address you know you can you can change a particular name to a local IP it's a way to sort of it's almost like um, defeating ads and that kind of thing you can you'll see a line that says address equals slash and then you can have you know the name of a of an advertising company online and slash one two seven dot zero dot zero dot one localhost. So whenever you load a page that has ads, um, it'll just you know it won't load the ads. It will just resolve that to the local IP, and the ads won't load. So it, it's a, that's a little trick. Sometimes people do that in their slash Etsy slash hosts also, uh, but you can do that um, with the name server as well for everybody. Okay, so that's really all that you need to do to serve as a DNS server uh, for the entire network. You basically just um, edit the slash etsy slash resolve.conf on the DNS server and put in the two name servers or the one name server that your ISP gives you. And then in slash etsy slash resolve.conf on the clients on all the other machines, you put name server and then the IP address of your local name server. 
And that's it. Now, the DHCP is what's really cool. And this is what that one listener was asking me about. He was asking me, is there a way to set up a name server such that, you know, all the machines that have names, you know, like laptop or uh, mom's computer or whatever, you know, uh, computer name, that, that the other machines will know what they are without actually having to do anything about it. And that's what um, you can do with this, with this application if you set it up to, do, to hand out all the IPs as well. So the way to do this is very easy. First of all, what you want to do in the slash Etsy slash hosts file on the name server is, well, let me back up. The very first thing you want to do is make sure that all of your computers have unique names uh, like laptop or, you know, uh, computer or Dell or, you know, whatever you want to call them. So in the slash Etsy slash hosts file on the, on the name server, you want to put the IP addresses with the, um, uh, with the machine names that are static, you know, for machines that have static IPs, you go ahead and put those in slash Etsy slash hosts. So like if you have a, if you have a file server and that's 192.168.1.50 and let's say that machine's name is server, well, you could put that in the slash Etsy slash hosts file on the name server machine. Uh, you'll put 192.168.1.50 space and then server. So you're just associating the IPs uh, with the machines. But now for uh, machines that connect with DHCP, what you want to do is you want to continue editing the slash Etsy slash BNS mask dot conf file. And there's a few more lines in there that you're going to want to insert. Well, there'll be lines that are there already, but you'll want to make sure they're uncommented. You'll want to enable them. The first one is a line that says expand dash hosts. Uh, because in the slash Etsy slash host file, you're just putting the machine names and not the domain. And basically, it's going to tack on the domain for you. And so then what you want to do is you want to uncomment the domain line and put local domain or, or whatever you're going to use on your local network. Uh, then you'll see a line that says DHCP-range, and you'll want to put the range of IPs. So like, for example, 192.168.1.100, 192.168.1.150, and then another comma, and then how many hours you're going to want each IP you know, lease to last. And I think I put 168 hours, seven days. Uh, then you want to uncomment the line that says listen-address, and you want to put two things in there. You want to put your, your local host IP, 127.0.0.1, comma, and then the IP address of your name server. So 192.168.1.5 in my example. And then the last thing I had to do, this is something that I had to figure out. I had to, there's, a, there's, a, there's some options. Uh, you'll see there's several examples, and it's a DHCP-option. And what I had to do was I had to put that, I had to uncomment that line and put comp equals three, comma, 192.168.1.1. And what option number three is, is basically, you'll see there's, there's several different options you can pick from. Option number three is to basically forward along with a DHCP request, your gateways IP, your router's IP. Here's the issue. See, I've got a wireless router, a Linksys wireless router uh, that's running one of these open source firmwares. This is the uh, that Linksys router that you can hack and you can get various Linux um, firmwares on there. And uh, that's acting as my main router, my main gateway, wireless access point, and all that good stuff. So it was doing all the, all the uh, requests for IPs. I mean, it was acting as a DHCP server. 
And so what I had to do is I had to go into the administration web interface for my Linksys router. And first of all, I had to change the DHCP settings because, you know, there's a box where you can select, you know, act as a name server and so, or act as a, a DHCP server. And so I wanted to turn that off because I've got my name server acting as a DHCP server. So then I had to put the IP address for my local, you know, name server. And so once I did that, then... Uh, the router knows that my name server is acting as a DHCP server, but the DHCP server, you know, that my name server thinks it's also the router. So if you didn't change this option, it would pass along its own IP as the router too. And I didn't realize this at first, but one of my laptops I was using and it was connecting and it wasn't, I was getting, you know, I was accessing my wireless network. I was, I was on the network, but I couldn't get out anywhere. I couldn't access the internet. And I looked, I, I had to kind of, you know, figure out what was going on. I finally realized that the default route, you know, the, which was basically that's what the laptop was thinking was the, was the router, the gateway, was my name server, not my actual router. So uh, with this option here, you can basic, you're basically telling DNS Mask that, hey, when someone asks for an IP address and you're acting as a DHCP server, fine, give them the IP address, but then pass along this 192.168.1.1 as the actual router. So the, so the client that's asking for the IP doesn't think that I'm the router, you know, that's kind of what it's doing. Uh, and so that's what that, that's what that option is. And that's all explained in the comments in uh, slash Etsy slash BNS mask.conf. It's all in there. Uh, so that worked great. Once I did that, I restarted um, I did slash HC slash init period D slash DNS mask uh, restart. And so anyway, the nice thing is once you've got this all set up that any client machines that are connecting and getting an IP from this, uh, from this name server, uh, those machine names are then available to all the other machines on the network. So if you have a laptop connecting and its name is laptop, all the other machines can ping it and you can SSH into it and all the names are available to all the other machines on the network and it works great and it's very, very cool. And that's it. I mean, my little, what I did was I actually had this installed on my little Linksys slug, my NSLU2 slug that I've mentioned before, which is this really cool little hackable, you know, um, solid state uh, device. It's a little box. It's like the size of a little paperback book. And you can basically, um, it's, it's supposed to act as a file server, uh, but you can take off the Linksys firmware and I installed Debian Etch on it. <laughs> so it's running full-fledged Debian Etch. It's a little ARM processor unit. So it's using the, the ARM uh, version of Debian, but I mean, it's regular Debian. And I just installed this application on there and it's acting as my DNS and my uh, DHCP server on my network. And it's been running for a week and a half or two weeks now, and it's been running great and it's fast. And the little slug is, it's, it's not impacting it at all. I mean, I keep checking on the CPU usage and top command and all that, and it's fine. I mean, it has no problems handling the requests. So uh, it's very cool stuff. And uh, DNS mask is a really fantastic little application. Like I said, I've only been using it a week or two, but I'm loving it. And I, man, it's really good stuff, so I highly recommend it. Fun to play with, and especially if you get one of these little slugs, you can just stick it away somewhere, put it on, you know, make sure it's on your network, of course, and it doesn't, I mean, hardly uses any power. And, uh, and I've actually got my slug acting as my uh, mail server, too. So that's what I'll talk about next week. So that's it for DNS, and it's time to get to some listener feedback, starting with a couple of audio comments. 
Good evening, Chess. It's John from Fairfield, Connecticut again. Uh, um, it was pretty cool to actually hear me uh, on your podcast asking the question or actually giving the listener a tip, I guess. Uh, the reason I'm, my message is for tonight is I was wondering what you use as a web editor, um, like a what-you-see-what-you-get kind of editor in Linux. I've been searching around. I've tried Scream. Not really, really good with the whole programming language thing. Um, so I was wondering if you had a suggestion for maybe an app uh, that would be easy to get up and running, to make links to. I'm running an Apache. I'm running my my LAMP server, thanks to you, uh, which was really cool because I was actually getting to do that anyway. So it was kind of, I was like, oh, this is perfect. He's doing a show about it. I want to build one. And that was great. Anyway, so just let me know what you would suggest as a web editor, because now I actually want to make something and create a web page and just have it on my local land and screw around with it, more or less. Uh, thanks, and oh, thanks again for your podcast. I do look forward to it every week, like I said last time. Take care. Talk to you again soon. Bye. Okay, well, John, well, thanks so much for that audio comment. Sorry about that quality there. I was trying to bump up the sound as, as fast as I could, but... Um, I didn't didn't quite get to it in time, uh, John. Let's see about your request for a, a WYSIWYG uh, web editor. The only one I can think of right off the top of my head is one that's called NVU, and it's basically um, I think it's based on some of the old uh, Mozilla Composer code. I think um, now I think the uh, Mozilla Suite SeaMonkey uh, also has an HTML uh, WYSIWYG editor in there. Uh, so you can check out NVU. That's spelled just literally as it sounds, N-V-U. So if you just search for that, you should be able to find that. I think it's actually sponsored by Linspire. But the only problem with NVU is I don't think it's really under too active development. But uh, it does work pretty well from what I understand. Uh, and again, like I said, the SeaMonkey, the I think, has a, has a composer, HTML composer in there. Uh, if you can, you know, obviously, um, uh, you know, you can try... Uh, working with some text, you know, regular text editors. I recommend Bluefish is an excellent uh, HTML editor that has a lot of built-in capability. It's not what you see, what you get. It's not a WYSIWYG editor, but it does have a lot of built-in, you know, you you know when it, it does automatic tag completion and stuff like that. So um, I always use Vim. <laughs> Vim is my HTML editor. My personal website is all done with Vim, um, so I just use a plain old text editor. But um, those are a couple ideas there for you. And then the last idea, you know, this may be more than you want to handle, but you know, but I believe under Wine or at least under Crossover Office, I think Dreamweaver runs. I'm not 100% positive of that, but I think I've heard of people running Dreamweaver. Uh, under Linux with Wine or Crossover Office, something like that. So if you have Dreamweaver, you may want to check that out. That, you know, might be a possibility. So thanks very much, John. Here's an audio comment from Derek. Hi, Chess. This is Derek from Indiana. Just wanted to thank you for the great job that you do uh, on the Linux Reality Podcast. Been listening from the beginning. I'm an intermediate Linux user and dabble with basically Mandriva and Ubuntu, um, 7.04 and just wanted to say thank you very much again for the great job that you're doing keep it up excellent well thank you very much derek i definitely will and uh, i appreciate you taking the time to record that and send that in i think i think both of those guys use the um, audio 
uh, service. So that's pretty cool. I'm glad to see that some people are using that. If you have a microphone hooked up to your machine, just uh, go to linuxreality.com. You'll see on the right-hand side, you'll see a link to web-based audio service or something. I forget exactly what I called it. But if you'll see something in there, it's right underneath the uh, the phone number for the uh, voicemail. And I'm going to still try to get that Skype thing set up. I just, I've been really busy lately, and it's been hard for me to uh, to do that, but I'm going to. Here's a few emails. Here's the first one is from Steve. Steve says, first off, love the podcast. I just stumbled upon it recently and like that you break things down for Linux noobs like me. Here's my situation. I have a friend that has just recently moved his website to his ISP's hosted site. His old page used ASP and now this new one does not. So I'm tasked to write a database in MySQL, which they said they support. Web server is Apache. Do I write the database and PHP programming locally on my PC and then FTP the files? I'm not even sure which ones they are up to the server or do, or do I connect to the hosted server and create the database there? Thanks and keep up the good work. That's Steve from Parkersburg, West Virginia. I actually responded to Steve by email, but I wanted to read it in case other people had the same question. Uh, Steve, you can actually do either way. Um, if the, if the, uh, ISP gives you shell access, SSH access, you know, you can certainly SSH in and do all the stuff there, create the database and, and, you know, get them to install PHP and you can do it all there, or you can do it locally. In fact, locally is probably easier. Um, just install a local lamp. Uh, you don't even need to have your Apache facing the outside. You know, I mentioned before, you can have it just looking at, at localhost. So you can, you know, you can set up Apache on your laptop even and install PHP, install MySQL, and do all your stuff, you know, locally. Then when you're ready to go and you're done, what you would want to do is do a, a MySQL dump. And it basically, I won't go through the configuration here because you can easily find it if you Google for it. It's very, there's tons of how-tos, but it's basically a command line. Um, you just, you would, you, it dumps out the data from the database into a file, a .sql file. And then you can just, you know, FTP or use SCP, which is the secure copy, which is part of SSH, uh, to get that file up onto the server itself, the remote server. And then you can import that stuff back into the database, uh, the, you know, the remote database, and it works perfectly. I've moved many databases that way with my SQL dump. When I've moved the Linux reality website a few times, I've done it that way. I've just done it all manually, and I've never had any problems. So uh, good luck, Steve. Here's an email from Ian. Ian says, hi, Chess. I would like to uh, first, let's see, I would first like to say thank you for the podcast. I have had one failed attempt to try Linux. I like the concept, but the... Um, practicalities of RTFM got in the way. I'm a Windows user and not a programmer, but I've helped many friends and family set up PCs with broadband and even wireless networks. I recently had a bad experience with Vista setting up a friend's new PC, and that has given me the incentive to reinvestigate Linux. I have just burned an ISO and have acquired an old PC as a test machine. The podcasts have given me the confidence to get going. I guess that a Linux user with a Hotmail address is an interesting concept. Can you recommend some alternatives to Hotmail? Best regards, Ian, from North Yorkshire, uh, Yorkshire, England. Ian, glad to hear that you're giving it a go. Um, that's what it's all about. Just try it out. Yep, get one of those old PCs as a test machine. That's exactly the way to do it. Uh, I wish you all the best, and please post in the Linux Reality Forums if you have any questions. Uh, people will be happy to help. And as far as uh, something other than Hotmail, well... I use Google Mail, Gmail, um, Yahoo is another one, and there's you know tons of others. So um, I used to use Hotmail. It's funny. I was thinking about this the other day. I think I got my first email address was Hotmail address email back in 1995 or 96, and I got a Yahoo email address in like 96, I think it was. And I don't have my Hotmail anymore. I stopped using that years ago, but I still have my uh, Yahoo. 
and I occasionally use it. I don't use it all that much, but uh, it's, you know, <laughs> I just think my email address, that email address at least is 10 years old. Last email here for this week is from Mark. Mark says, Chess, on one of your very early episodes, you mentioned that you are a fan of the lamented TV show Firefly, and you played a promo for The Signal, which is a Firefly podcast. I also listened to The Signal, and one of their segments is the conversion story. Well, I have a conversion story for you. This is good. <laughs> First off, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool Macintosh user. Uh, and as is natural, the rest of my family are Windows users. However, I've gotten the title of IT guy for my family. So when something goes wrong with one of their machines, they call on me to fix it. Well, the other day, my mother-in-law called me and said that her PC wasn't on the Internet anymore, in quotes. I went over to her house and checked it out. To make a long story just a bit shorter, somehow her system had gotten so messed up with malware that it couldn't even recognize the TCP IP protocol anymore. I tried several fixes, but nothing helped. As a last resort, I told her that we would have to reinstall Windows, but the original CDs had been lost in one of about four moves they had made recently. I was racking my brain trying to come up with a solution, as I know she could not afford a new system at this time. Then I remembered a friend of mine talking a while back about Linux. I'd never tried Linux and knew next to nothing about it, so I dropped into research mode and started learning about it. Your podcast wasn't the first one I found, but in the long list, it was the first one that said it was for the Linux newbie. I downloaded and listened to the first 10 episodes in one day. I also downloaded and burned onto CD the ISO you talked about in episodes 8 to 10, which was PC Linux OS. That evening, I booted her PC from the live CD, and it worked perfectly the first time. My mother-in-law was thrilled. Since then, I've partitioned her hard drive and reinstalled and installed PC Linux OS permanently. She has had to do a bit of adjusting to the new OS, to the new OS but it's already more stable than her old copy of Windows, and I'm happier knowing that her surfing is much safer. Now, I've got an old Macintosh G3 Wall Street laptop that I'm thinking about switching over to Linux. I've got to say that the whole experience has been positive, thanks to your podcast. Thanks for all your hard work. Mark from Valley Springs, South Dakota. How about that? That is a great story, Mark. Thanks so much for sharing. That is very cool. I'm just, <laughs> that is really neat uh, to think that it actually works. People say, you know, they, they ask, you know, when will Linux be ready for your grandmother? Well, you know. Here's one. Uh, works really well. So it's actually his mother-in-law, but you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, people, you know, wonder when Linux is good for non-computer users and, uh, you know, stories like Mark's here. And I think that just shows that Linux is just about there. I really do think so. So thank you very much, Mark, for sharing your conversion story. Good stuff. With that, I think it's time to wrap it up for this week. Okay, well, um, hope you enjoyed that little discussion of DNS, DHCP, and all that good stuff. I'm telling you, that's a really cool application, DNS Maps. I encourage you to check it out. I'm having a lot of fun with it. It was so easy to set up. I mean, I did the whole thing in like 30 minutes. I mean, it didn't take long at all. Um, works great. Works great. So next week, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about some email stuff. Just real, you know, simple email. Not, we're not going to set up a full-fledged uh, uh, mail server. But I think, you know, there's some ways to set up some email stuff that's handy for the home user. At least I have found it handy. And it's, it's kind of fun to do anyway. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. Uh, please feel free to send me email or audio comments that you record to linuxreality at gmail.com. You can also uh, call the Linux Reality Hotline 
or use the Odeo web-based recording software, which is free to use. Um, and the phone number and the link to the Odeo is there both on the Linux Reality homepage at linuxreality.com. Please do check out the forums, linuxreality.com slash forums. We're having some good discussions there. In fact, I opened up a new little sub-forum where people can post tips and tricks and how-tos and that kind of stuff. So that should be a lot of fun. Take care, everyone. Have a good weekend, and I'll catch you all next time. This has been Episode 60 of Linux Reality. See you later. Bye-bye.